one of the things that we talk about is is having a biblical worldview yeah. in in all aspects of life. One of the the things that you have a um, a passion around and that you do extremely well and have made a significant impact not only in our church but in the church overall is our view on dealing with loss yes. and death and grief. Amen. So uh, I guess just kind of start with the, the biblical perspective on how to properly deal with loss, grief, and death. Very good. I, I think, again, we don't realize how much of the world has impacted even the church's viewpoint on something like death. And we need to go back to the Bible. And really, if we're going to believe God, we need to believe what his word says and, and not just gravitate towards the world's viewpoint on this. And so I've given some scriptures. I think they're going to be on the screen. Um, and I apologize right now for the fact that this is going to be so condensed. Uh, if you're going through loss, my heart breaks for you and God's heart breaks for you. But we need to believe what the word of God says versus our own feelings and what others have told us. And we repeat things in the church it's like cutting off the end of the hand. We don't even know why we say it. We just say it. It sounds good, makes us feel better, but it probably doesn't help. And I want to speak into some of those things. So I'm just going to give you some scriptures. I'm going to give you one or two bullet points off of those scriptures. And I encourage you to go look those scriptures up and let the Lord speak to you through his word, because that's how we get, we get healed. Hebrews 9.27 is one of those verses. It's where it says, it's appointed unto every man wants to die. Now, this is, I'm not trying to be condescending, but we need to realize as the body of Christ, we have an expiration date. We have a shelf life. None of us are going to live forever. And so it should not surprise us when death comes. And yet I find that it does. And the church shouldn't be surprised by this. The church should have an understanding, a biblical viewpoint on the fact that death is not probable, it's inevitable. And uh, grandma could live till she's 92 and then she dies. And I have the people who've been at the church leave because grandma died, but they prayed for her to get healed. And the thing that you have to keep in mind is even if God healed her, there's going to come another time when she's going to face death. And I have people tell me all the time and, you know, they get a little radical about it. Well, I'm believing God for 120 years. My, my thought to them is, do you know anybody that made it? <laughs> so somewhere between 120 years, we're going to meet our maker. The whole book is about being ready because death is inevitable. And we need to get back to that biblical perspective because it's about being ready for that time. Then there's Hebrews 11, uh, 33 through 40. It's the faith chapter, right? Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith. By faith, they subdued kingdoms. By faith, they wrought righteousness. By faith, they escaped the, escaped the edge of the sword. By faith, women had their dead raised to life again. Man, we're like, yes. But it, it doesn't stop there. It says, and still others. And you got to keep reading. Still others wandered about destitute in sheepskins, hiding in caves. They were sawn in half. And then he ends Hebrews 11 with all these, those who received the miracle and those who did not, all of these received a good report of faith, not having received the promise. 
And so it doesn't even matter what the promise is. They believe for something that they didn't see, but they believe for it their whole life. And God said, well done, the good and faithful servant. And so we need a biblical perspective on what it is to walk in faith. And that walking in faith isn't about us getting what we want. Walking in faith is about trusting God when we get the miracle and when we don't. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Good, good. That's good. Yeah, it, it's okay to clap. It will encourage me. <laughs> Psalms 90, verse 12, the author says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our heart unto wisdom. It's a really nice way of saying you got to know you have a limited time on this planet. Here's the thing I have found. It happens to older people all the time. As it gets closer to their time where they're known, they're, we're going to leave the planet before very long, they actually start living life better because they have an understanding that their time here is limited. And so the scripture is trying to encourage us while we're young and dumb <laughs> to take notice of the fact that you have a limited time on this planet. And if you understand that, you actually live life better. Yeah. When you just, there's that song, and I'm not a country fan, but the song says, live life like you were dying. There's a real truth to that. Because from the moment we take our first breath, we are headed towards death. And if you get that, if you can wrap your mind and heart around that, you actually learn to live life better. I have done well over 600 funerals, and I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, but I will tell you what it has done for my wife and I is that we enjoy every moment because we realize every minute is a gift. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And when you understand that, you take the time to smell the roses. You will take the time to engage with your children and set the phone down and actually fully engage in relationships. That you'll go to lunch together with your wife and actually talk and enjoy the conversation. It's a, it's a rule of thumb for you that when you go to lunch, just with pretty much anyone, I don't, at least the times that I've gone with you, the phone stays in the, the vehicle. The phone stays in the vehicle. Because if I'd have wanted that other person in on this conversation, I would have invited him. It's <laughs> good. So, so then there's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. The scripture says, The God of all comfort, he comforts us so that we may be able to comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves are comforted with. And because we're in Texas, that's a whole lot of Southern comfort. <laughs> it's just the right kind of Southern comfort. But he says that God, he helps us through our loss. He helps us through our pain. He helps us through our situations. And if we'd have been the only one on the planet, he would have done it anyway. But he's a generational God. And he does it for us so that we may be able to help others. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, let me help you. And that's the thing that's actually missing in loss is we don't actually tell people what we learned when we went through loss. We don't tell people how God got us through it. And so every generation goes through it naive every single time. Yeah. So he goes on to say, he said, life got so hard for us. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of how bad it got for us in Asia Minor. He said, this is the Apostle Paul. He said, count it all joy, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. This same author said, it got so hard for us that we despised even of life. And he says, but God rescued us and he continues to rescue us. And we'll talk yeah. about that later. 
So, so that scripture, you need to wrap your mind around that God comforts us so that we can comfort others, so that we can help others through their, through their times. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, he, he says, don't sorrow as those who have no hope. And I see this all the time where Christians have lost their mind. They tell somebody who has lost a spouse or a child that they're not supposed to weep, hmm. that we're, we're going to celebrate their life. And I believe in celebrating life, but I also believe in grieving well. And the church is terrible at both of them. Hmm. We don't celebrate well and we don't grieve well either. And so he gives us this perspective, don't sorrow like those who have no hope. He didn't say don't sorrow. Yeah. Grieving is part of being human. And if you don't grieve well, it comes out later in really bad ways. And so we need to give people the freedom to grieve, to go through the process, but we're not good at it in America. I will tell you right now, we give people at best four weeks and then we want them back at work and we want them smiling and we want them better. But I'm gonna tell you something. We want them better, not for their sake, we want them better for our sake because they make us feel uncomfortable. Yeah, that's good. C.S. Lewis said, I didn't know losing my wife would make me an embarrassment to my friends. And what he was saying is, your friends take you to lunch after you've lost someone and something happens and you begin to cry. A song comes on that was their song or a smell or that was their favorite food or who knows, grief doesn't play fair. And so you start crying and everybody at the table is like, they want you better because they don't know how to deal with with your grief. I have to teach people it's okay. Sometimes uh, Ginger and I, we we lost our son, Michael, six years ago last week. Hmm. And we have times where we laugh and laugh about something he said or something he did. And then there are other times something just catches us sideways. And I have to teach people, it's okay, give me a minute. But people aren't used to that. And so we need to have a biblical perspective to grieve, but not as those who don't have hope. He goes on to say, those of us that are here, we're not going to keep those who've gone on before us from resurrecting. And we're going to meet them in the air and we'll be forever with them in the Lord. And then he says, encourage one another with these words. What he's saying is we need an eternal perspective. Can I, can I tell you something? You just write it down and meditate on it for a little bit. We spend way too much time talking about what we've lost and not near enough time thinking about what they've gained. Think about it. Everything we are working for, they have received. We're still having to work. All the promises of God are fully yes and amen to them. They're more alive than they've ever been. So we need that, that biblical perspective. Then there's Psalms 6, 6. And I, I, I think it's on the screen, Psalm 6, 6. It's in the, the uh, Message Bible. Here, here's what he said. I love this because this is so real. He said, I'm tired of all this. So tired. My bed has been floating for 40 days and nights on the flood of my tears. My mattress is soaked soggy with tears. The sockets of my eyes are black holes, nearly blind. I squint and grope. Is that, 
Is that not real enough for you? Can I, can I tell you to write this down? Somebody else came up with this, but it's so good I have to, have to repeat it. Crying is necessary, needed, and natural. Grieving, tears are sometimes the best way your body knows how to respond to what's going on. And for you to withhold your body from that will make you sick. We'll talk about that hopefully later. So, so we need to see it's okay to cry and don't let people talk you out of grieving. I, and again, grief doesn't play fair. I wouldn't even mind crying if it happened at Friday at two o'clock in the morning when no one was around. I'm gonna be like, okay, I cried, now I'll get up and I go. Yeah. But it happens at Walmart. It happens at the convenience store. Three years after Michael passed, somebody who's connected to us but not really came to me says, how's Michael? And I had to share with them, Michael's in heaven. And then they had the fall aparts and I had to minister to them. That's the way this goes. It's, it's crazy. So we need a perspective that crying is natural. It's a very necessary and needed aspect of grieving if you're going to grieve well. And men as a whole are terrible at it. Terrible at it. And the enemy takes advantage of that and absolutely just wears them out. I'm okay with crying. I wasn't always that way, but I have cried so hard for so long, I didn't think there was any tears left, only to find there's a whole nother well somewhere else. It just comes with the territory. But I allow myself the permission to cry and just make people deal with it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. I know he doesn't feel like he's near right now. If you've recently lost somebody, I know he feels like he's a thousand miles away, but he's not. He is right there. He is willing and ready. And he's actually the one holding you up. He's actually the one that is giving you the ability to continue to breathe and walk through. And no matter how you feel, you need to trust the word of God that God is not way up in heaven, away from you. He is near to you. And then there's this, and then we'll, we'll go on to other things. 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now we've been taught very, very well that a good fight is one that you win. But we've misinterpreted that to mean a good fight is God answers my prayer and therefore I've won. But winning in the kingdom of God is about keeping your faith. Yeah. That's how you know you win yeah. is in the midst of all that's going on. Do I still have my faith in God? Is it still secure? Because life will not just hand you a, a curveball. Life can hand you a wrecking ball. And if you fight a good fight, knowing you win is that I kept my faith in God. Yeah. So there, yeah. that's the Reader's Digest condensed version. Yeah. Let me tell you a driving force that has helped me and should help you to minister to people well. And I'm going to give you a charge tonight. You can no longer run when people are in pain and in loss. You are the body of Christ. I'm commissioning you and charging you to go make a difference in their world. But I want you to make the right difference. Maya Angelou said this. She said, I have learned over time that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, 
but they will never forget how you made them feel. So the goal is not having the right thing to say. The goal is not actually doing the right thing. The goal is to help them feel connected and cared for, connected to God and connected to you and cared for. I have gone to people's house who have lost a loved one and not said anything per se, just I'm here, I want you to know I love you, I'm here to help you. And the comment was made, you know what I really need is I need someone to do the dishes because family's all in here. People have brought a bunch of food, but nobody wants to wash the dishes. So I got up and just washed the dishes. And those people think I'm the greatest pastor on the planet. They don't know if I can preach, but they know I can wash dishes. There you go. There you go. But they felt cared for. I mowed someone's lawn one time because the husband had died. He's the one that was the lawn caretaker. And the wife had family coming in and the lawn needed taken care of. I just mowed the lawn. And yet those people are, are dedicated to me till the end because it wasn't about what I said. It was about they felt loved and cared for. Yeah, so good, so good. Um, so how many of you, if you're comfortable with this, uh, how many of you in the past 12 months have lost someone that you love? If you could just raise your hand. Okay. How many of you know somebody who has lost somebody that they love? Okay. So that's why we're talking about this tonight. Um, because of, of what you just saw. Many people are walking through this personally. And then those who didn't raise their hand on that know somebody who's walking through this. And... A lot of times, uh, I think when we talk about dealing with loss or grief, we, uh, and rightly so, we talk to the people who are walking through it at that moment, and that's really helpful. Um, another thing that I'd really like to hear your thoughts on is for those who know people who are walking through it, um, what, what helps and Very what good. doesn't help? Because uh, as we discuss this, uh, speaking directly to those who are walking through it right now in this moment, it is helpful and we'll get to that. Yeah. But also, as the church, like you had mentioned earlier, as the church, we need to be attentive to and care for those who are walking through yeah. some of the darkest days of their life. And a lot of times we, we don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, the heart may be right, <laughs> but we right. just don't know what to do. So Very good. what have you seen that's been helpful and not helpful? Man, this is a big deal. And I just need you to make some notes and some mental uh, notes here about this. One of the things that I'm begging you to stop doing is stop throwing Christian cliches at people and give genuine compassion. Yeah, really love people. See, we have a tendency to repeat things that we've heard other people say. It's, again, it's cutting off the end of the ham. Let me just give you one of those. Because my wife and I have been through a lot of loss. I'm not talking from some book. We've been through loss. And we love the people who have come to us. But I just apologize to people all the time when they've lost someone. I tell them right up front, I apologize now for the stupid things people will say. Mm. Because we do. We say things. We, we have a Christian cliche. Here, here's one of those. Well, you know they're in a better place. That's the truth. 
Man, if they're in heaven, they're in a better place. But the people you're saying that to are in the worst place they have ever been. To tell a wife whose husband has passed, well, you know they're in a better place, sounds good, but it doesn't help. It's like a dagger in the heart because they are at the lowest point of their, they don't even know if they're going to breathe the next moment. They don't know how they're going to get up and function. And we throw these things out there. Well, you know, they're they're, they're a place where there's no more pain and no more. Yes, that's true. But they're in incredible pain. They have, I mean, they've just, their guts and heart have been ripped out and laid out on the floor. And now we're trouncing on it. So stop with the cliches. Stop with the throwing scriptures at people. Stop with the, you need to read this book. There's a time when books are helpful, but in the beginning, they don't need books. They need you. They need compassion. So the first thing is get rid of the cliches and actually care about people. Actually care about where they're at and what they're going through. The other thing is stop avoiding people. We say we love people, but when it's hard, we don't love people well. Now, now let me tell you something. I've been doing this 42 plus years. And when I hear about a loss and I go to the family, people ask me all the time, what do you say? I can tell you with an open heart, I don't know. That's the problem. We go with a preconceived idea of what we're going to say. That lacks compassion. That's the same as the funerals that are done in people's churches where they just fill in the name, but the funeral's the same as it was the last time. There's no compassion in that. There's no connectivity in that. It's just a rehearsed thing that we put in a name. Hmm. Here's what I know. Again, they'll forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. The other driving force is Proverbs 20, verse five. It says that counsel is in the heart of a man and it's like deep running water and a man of understanding will draw it out. I let people tell me what they need because I don't know what they need. But if I let them talk, they will tell me what they need and then I can speak to that. So I never go with the preconceived idea. Some people want to talk about them and just how, how they miss their laughter and their jokes. And we're just, we're laughing. It sounds so weird, but that's, how, that's what's helping them. Other people don't want to talk right now. They just want to process and you just show up. My, my son, Michael, when, when he was uh, uh, with us, he had a friend whose best friend, um, his brother died of a brain aneurysm. And so they asked me to do the funeral. So I did it. Afterwards, Michael said, I'm going to go see if I can minister to my friend, Chris. I said, okay. So I got through doing what I did. I went out. He was standing with Chris and his other family members. I said, Michael, it's time to go. He said, okay. I, we got in the truck. I said, so how did that go? Michael said, dad, I, I didn't know what to say. So I just helped him cry. Do you feel the wisdom of God in that? The power that actually holds? I didn't know what to say. Mourn with those that mourn, rejoice with those that rejoice. See, we read the scripture, but then when it's played out, it surprises us. I didn't know what to say. So 
I can't tell you the number of times I have wept with people over the loss of their child or their spouse or whatever it was. And it was the right thing at the moment. So don't avoid. That's worse than, than anything else because they already feel alone and abandoned. And we tell them we love them, but we don't like the uncomfortableness. So we love ourselves more than we love them. Yeah. I, it rips my heart out every time to go sit with a family that has lost a loved one. I don't get excited like, oh boy, I get to do this again. But I run towards the roar because I know what they need is my presence. Let me go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I think it's in the Message Bible. Paul says, we despaired even of life. He said, but God rescued us and he continues to rescue us. And you and your prayers were a part of that rescue mission. Mm. Never underestimate the power of just your presence because they're already feeling abandoned. They're already feeling alone. They're already feeling like I'm in this dark place alone. And just you showing up matters. It's not about saying the right thing. It's about showing up. You know, I've been through the entire Bible trying to figure out who God uses. Is it the smart? Is it the dumb? Is it the white? Is it the black? Is it the rich? You know who God uses? Those who show up. Yep. Yep. So stop, stop avoiding. And stop telling people, I know exactly how you feel. Hmm. How could you know exactly how they feel? Yeah. You're not them. You didn't live their life. They may have lost a wife. You may have lost a wife, but your relationship was unique to you. You can say, I lost my wife and here's what the Lord showed me. I'm here for you. But don't ever tell anybody you know exactly how they feel. Uh, how are we doing on time? We're good. Okay. Yeah. Let me tell you a story. Um, a life group, a grief life group had invited this lady who had recently lost her husband to their life group. And she showed up and everybody's loving on her. And the host said to her, I know exactly how you feel. I lost my husband last year. And she said, you don't know how I feel. I'm glad he's gone. Ooh. Yeah. They weren't ready for that. I promise you they were not. And... Then she tells the rest of the story. From the day I said I do, he verbally and physically abused me. And in public, he was this nice guy, but behind closed doors, he was this beast, this monster. But I made a covenant to God that I made a covenant with this man and I'm gonna walk it out. And now that I'm released from that covenant, I'm glad I can go on. That is a perfect scenario of why you can't tell somebody you know exactly how they feel because you don't. That's good. All right? Really good. So let's talk again about what actually helps. Number one, show up. Yeah. Bite the bullet, face the uncomfortableness, and go. Be brave. We, we're, we're a miracle-working church, man. We believe God does miracles. Just show up and God will do the miracle. Just be there. So show up. Here's the other thing. And this is, if, I, if you leave with anything, I want you to get this. They need to talk. And it's the last thing they want to do. 
So if you want to help people, be a great listener. We're terrible listeners in America. Part of the reason I know that is how often we interrupt people. Do you know what interrupting somebody is? It's a nice way of saying, would you please shut up so I can tell you what I think is important? Listen well, because out of the abundance of their heart, Matthew 11, 34, 12, 34, out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth will speak. Proverbs 20, verse five, it's like deep running water and you'll draw it out. It's in their heart. What they need, they, they don't know what they need. They just don't know what they know. What they need is in them. And if we'll listen well, we'll draw it out and then we can actually help them. Now, this is a terrible example. I'm looking for something better, but everybody gets it. I hate throwing up. I would rather do just about anything than throw up. Ah, yuck. But have you ever noticed if you feel like you got to throw up and you try to not throw up, you you feel worse and worse and worse. But as soon as you throw up, you almost instantly feel better. Can I get a witness? It's true. There's a reason for that. Your body knows what's in your gut is making you sick and it's trying to get it out. It's going to come out one way or the other. And the quicker you get it out, the better and quicker you get healed. Well, let me tell you something about loss. If you hold it in, you will have what I call soul sickness and it will get worse and worse and worse until you get it out. And the way you get soul sickness healed is by talking, by bringing that what's on the inside of you out. And sometimes I'll correct theological mistakes, but most of the time I just let people talk because people need to be able to say, I'm angry because anger is the right response because death is our enemy. It's why we're angry. Everything in us knows this isn't right. But I'm a Christian. We don't see, we don't know how to deal with our emotions as they really are. God's okay with you being angry. God's actually okay with you being angry at him because he's got big shoulders. Yeah. He knows you're wrong. He'll eventually get you there. Yeah. So when you go, you need to let people talk because they need it. They don't want to do it. That's the thing about loss is everything you need, the enemy tries to withhold from you. What's the first thing that happens? They withdraw. And they don't want to get back into work. They don't want to get back into life. They don't want to get back into church. They don't want to talk. But I'm telling you, that's the enemy at work. And we need to make sure that we give them permission to have a little bit of time of processing. But then we need to be there and we need to let them talk. And we need to let them say, I'm angry. We need to let them say, I'm so alone We need to let them say, I I don't know if I want to go on and not call 911 unless it's absolutely necessary. They're saying, I'm processing. And we need to be okay with the discomfort to let them talk. Now, let me run a little caveat here. This is really important. The enemy doesn't need any new tricks because the old ones work really, really well. And one of those tricks is blame. Every time I have helped a family through loss and the family has felt comfortable enough to speak to me, one way or another, every member of the family takes blame. I should have called a doctor sooner. I should have went to a different hospital. I should have known there was something going. Just on and on, the blame goes. But 
if you want to blame somebody, there is someone to blame. Adam. The Bible's... If your name's Adam in here, we're not talking about yeah, you. Don't jump on Adam the man. Yeah. Adam's been dead thousands of years. The Bible says through Adam came sin and through sin came death. So don't give even Adam too much of a hard time because if it hadn't been him, it'd have been you or me. Sure. Right? Yep. That's, it's, it's the human thing. So the enemy wants to place blame because blame is a spiritual cul-de-sac. You know what a cul-de-sac is? You start here and you go around and around and around, but you end up right back where you started. And some people go in a two-year cul-de-sac. Some people go in a 20-year cul-de-sac. Some people never get out of the cul-de-sac. If you want to blame somebody, blame Adam. The other thing I would like to say is this. There is one question asked every time, every single time. Can anybody take a guess at what that question is? You guys are awesome. You don't need me. Why? But can I tell you something? It's the wrong question. And if you ask the wrong question, you'll get the wrong answer every single time. It's the wrong question because it doesn't actually help. Let me, let me just be real vulnerable here. We actually know why. The doctors can tell you. It was a brain aneurysm. The cancer took its course. Or we actually have answers. to the, That's not actually what we're asking. We want to know why they're gone. And there's answers to that too. But let me tell you something. Like the kid who was in the swing and then he jumped out and fell and broke his arm. He said, Mom, why does my arm hurt? She said, Son, you broke your arm. Did you know the answer didn't help him a bit? Hmm. He didn't need the answer. He needed his arm healed. Yeah. We don't need the answer. What we need is our heart healed. Yeah. Yeah. Hear me? That's important. Yeah. One last thing. It's the wrong question. Why? The right question is who. And there are two who's you need to know about. The first two we've already discussed is Adam. Who's to blame? Adam. The second who is who can help? And that's Jesus. Amen. 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 So where does this passion, uh, like it's clearly a passion point for you. And every job has parts of it that are really enjoyable and parts of it that aren't. And in the, the pastoral work, the, the moments where you have to go and talk to a child who just lost a parent or uh, a parent who just lost a child. Those are the moments in that work that come with the territory, uh, but they're not enjoyable. Right. Um, and you have a uh, part of the, the legacy, I believe that you're leaving to our church and the church is how to navigate those moments well. So, yeah. uh, so where does that come from for you? Why is it so important to you? Because it's such a great need and there's nobody filling the need. It's, it's such a big, everybody's gonna face this and yet there's nobody's talking about it. There's nowhere to go. And my heart breaks because we are the people of God. We have God's heart. We are to represent him to those individuals. And to blame God is one of the things that aggravated me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, God took him. Well, first off, 
That means God has need. How does the all-sufficient God have need? And to blame God for the loss is actually a character assassination. It's actually blasphemy. Hmm. But it's much easier to blame God than it is to actually deal with the situation. We blame God. Who's going to argue with God? So it was a point of contention for me because it was making God to be something that he wasn't. God is the supplier, not, not the taker. So I always tell people, God doesn't take our loved ones, but he does receive them. There's a vast difference in me taking money from you and receiving money from you. Right. And if we can see that, then we can get a proper... If the enemy can get you to be angry at God, you will lose on every front. Because God is your only hope. God is your only answer. God is your only real help. And God in us is the only answer. So if he can turn you against God, and that's what I saw. The number one thing I saw in church, when I would go out and witness on the streets and go out and witness in the restaurants or wherever I was that I had opportunity, the number one reason I saw people leaving church or not going to church is because of a loss of a loved one. And you just have to... I'm just going to pick the, the you know, newest one. Grandma's 92 years old, has served God for 75 years of those 92. Her husband, several of her children, most of her family is in heaven. She's ready to go. But then she dies and half the family leaves the church because God took her. Hmm. First off, how long did you expect her to live? Second off, she was ready to go. Can, can, I, can I be real honest? We hold on to people way longer than we should. We hold on to people because we're selfish. They're ready to go. I promise you, if I die and you raise me from the dead, I'm going to punch you in the nose. <laughs> I've lived my life. I, my children, I've spent my life, and I'll tell you, doing this many funerals has caused me to truly love life but it's also caused me to love my wife and my kids well and to tell them regularly, I love you. I live life in reverse. I see all the regrets that people have at, at the funeral and I'm, go, I'm not going to die like that. I want my family to know they're number one and I love them now, yeah. right now. Yeah. now. Nobody goes to their grave going, man, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. Nobody. Nobody yep. says, I wish that I made more money because at death you realize somebody else is going to spend all that money. Yep. <laughs> right? What people say is, I wish I would have forgiven. Hmm. I wish I would have spent more time. I w so knowing that, why can't we be smart? Why can't we recognize to number our days so we can apply our heart to wisdom and go, I'm not going to be someone who walks in unforgiveness. I'm going to make things right with people as best I can. I'm going to keep my family close. I'm going to fully engage when I'm talking with people and, and not be distant. Yeah. I'm going to live life and take risks. You know, when people come to the end of their life, one of the things they regret is they didn't take more risks. So it's caused me to be a risk taker. It's caused me to love life better, to fully engage and enjoy the life that God has given me. And so it's, it's a passion because... If we handle this right, it reflects well on the kingdom and on our God and on our church. Yeah, man. So good. So this is an unscripted question, okay? Have you Welcome seen, to my world. Yeah. 
do you notice a difference in the way that different generations handle and process grief and loss and death? Absolutely. And it's got worse and worse and worse. What I'm concerned about, part of the reason it's such a passion for me is I see the Gen Zs and the millennials as a whole. Now, there are others that are really good at it, but as a whole, they avoid funerals and death on every front. And somehow we have believed we can live forever, even though history demonstrates over and over again, that's not a truth. And we see them avoiding and not going. They they don't go to funerals. And so when dad does die or when a brother does die, they are absolutely devastated because they have not exercised the spiritual muscles to work through the process. Let, Let me just, I think everybody here ought to make sure your children and your grandchildren have a goldfish. Yep. You know, this wasn't a problem when we were ranchers. Right. When you were ranchers, you dealt with it on a regular basis. Your children had to, they got to see birth, they got to see death, and they got to process. And so when death came, it wasn't a surprise. They worked through it. It still hurt, but they had the muscles and the ability to go through it. And I see, especially during this COVID time where they're absolutely given permission to stay away, and because they didn't have closure, it, it's a problem. And I find them not processing life well because they haven't processed death well. Right. Knowing I'm dying helps me live really, really out loud and well. Yeah. And so I, I have seen, and the other thing I've seen is this. It's the reason I wrote the book, um, All About Funerals, is those people are no longer asking you and I to do their funerals because they don't have any connection to us. They don't go to church. So they're asking Uncle Bill and Billy Joe, their their cousin or whatever, because he quotes some scriptures every now and again. Mm -hmm. They ask them to do it because they have connection. So I wrote the book to at least give them some sense of here's what your responsibility is. I even wrote some kind of condensed versions of sermons, graveside, uh, uh, funeral services so that they'd have some platform to start with because they're asking people who aren't ministers. And uh, that's a, that's a issue I see now. And I'm seeing in funeral homes, this shift where they don't even have hymns being played anymore. They have secular music that's played soft. Mm. That's a problem. Sure. Sometimes the only time people are going to see God is at that funeral, which is, again, why I have such a passion. Let's do this right. Right. Now, I'm going to end with this. Okay. I'm the only pastor I know. I would love to hear from others who have this happen. I've got a dozen people who paid me ahead of time to do their funerals. (laughs) What's up with that? I'm like, what if I'm dead? Yeah. Right? (laughs) But I've, I've had people who aren't even saved come up and tell me, I've already told my family, when I die, I want you to do my funeral because I've never heard anything like that. I think when we reflect well in it, that's what happens. Even the world is drawn to hope and help. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that you had mentioned earlier. So the reason I brought up the the generation question is because when you were talking about heading into those scenarios and you not knowing what to expect and you not having something already lined up for people that have been conditioned because of 
their, their age, and people are conditioned for different reasons, but one of the things would be people who have been conditioned in environments where there's always a barrier or a buffer, that's a better word. There's always a buffer between you and the other person. So communication is not through phone calls. Um, there, it's interesting, the generational gap on the comfort level of having a phone call. It really freaks younger people out on a general basis. But like, um, because there's, it's real time, there's yeah. not a buffer. And so I think whether that's because of where you fall generationally or maybe your temperament, uh, introversion, whatever, if, if it's uncomfortable for you, the idea of not having a buffer and heading into something completely mm. unknown and not knowing and not being able to control and give like the precise words and really mull it over, uh, you're just going to have, like, you're just going to have to get over that. And, and be okay with that unknown piece. Because in a way, you're stepping into that vulnerable too. And to love, so another C.S. Lewis quote, to love is to be vulnerable. That's exactly and right. And he talked about uh, I, how to process death with that quote was, listen, if, if you don't want to be vulnerable, don't love anything. That's right. Um, don't love a person, don't love an animal, don't love anything. Because the minute you love it, you become vulnerable. That's right. Um, and he talked about, but if you do that, your love will become irredeemable. Um, if you try to protect it and lock it away and keep it safe, mm. over time it will become irredeemable. So to love is to be vulnerable. And as a church, are we going to do this perfectly? No. But are we going to, uh, by God's grace, do it to the best of our ability Amen. And, and love people well? and reflect Christ-like compassion and love to those around us, whether they're particularly in, in our body with us, but also the world around us. Amen. Um, you had mentioned it earlier. It's a great opportunity to show what the love of God looks like. It's one thing that we can talk about theoretically, but loving people and just being present with people through these times puts skin and bone yeah. to the things that we confess and profess. So you just put a holy fear in me about something. I'm going to say this. Don't you dare text somebody over trying to help them. Don't you send an emoji. I'll come back and put you in a headlock <laughs> in Jesus name. I just, that, I hadn't even thought about that because we, we see a generation quits their job over a text, right. leave a relationship over a text. Man, when it comes to somebody having lost, don't you dare send a text or an email. You show up. You, you, you just show up and allow yourself to feel the weight of that because that's how you love people well. You know, again, if you've never faced it, it's easy to say, well, just get over it. Yeah. That, that's about as dumb to the 10th power. Yeah. So please don't text somebody. Take the time to go make a phone call. Take the time to show up. Spend some time. And, and, and don't tell people, tell me, just tell me what you need. They don't know what they need. They're, yeah. they're in a zombie. Tell them, I'll show up next week and we'll go to lunch. Let me come next week and bring you some supper. Tell them what you're going to do. And this is going to sound real carnal, but if you really want to bless somebody, uh, I've never seen anybody turn down money because death is expensive. And so 
You can make them feel loved really. If, if you don't want to say anything, you give them a card with $100 in it, I promise you, they will remember who you are. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Very good. Thank you so much. I'm done. <laughs>